You're listening to the Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. Episode 2 A Goddess in Disguise. Starting down from the peaks of Olympus, Athena stood in the country of Ithaca on the threshold of the courtyard at Odysseus' front door. Bronze spear in hand, she looked an awful lot like Mentes, a foreigner and a leader of the Taphians. She found the suitors, sitting in front of the door on the hides of the oxen they'd killed. They looked... well, they looked like men. Very masculine. I might even say too much so. They were agenoras, and that's a word you can fall off of if you don't pay attention. Manly, courageous, but then again, I might mean thuggish. A little bit this way, a little bit that, but I'll tell you this for sure. Sitting there playing board games, while their servants and attendants mixed up their drinks, cut up their meat, washed and set the tables, they looked exactly like men. That's how Athena found them. Godlike Telemachus was the first by far to see her. He sat with the suitors, heart-heavy, pretending he could see his noble father coming back from who knows where, scattering the suitors, reclaiming his honor, and taking control of his own home. Sitting with the suitors, imagining that, he noticed Athena. He went right to the front door, deeply ashamed a stranger was standing waiting at the entrance. I said foreigner, before, I'll say stranger now. I could say guest. Guest friend in particular, but there's only one word. Xenos. It comes with an assumption that when a foreigner, stranger, guest comes to your door, you'll give them a chance. They might be a god. There are constants. Or there should be. Constants of approach, of behavior, and here's one of them. Telemachus went right up to Athena. He clasped her right hand, took her bronze spear, and said to her, speaking winged words, Welcome, stranger. Please, make yourself at home, have some dinner, and then you can tell me whatever it is you need. That's what he said. And Pallas Athena followed his lead. Once they were inside the lofty house, he placed the spear he was carrying near a tall pillar in a well-made spear rack next to many spears of steadfast Odysseus. He led her to a beautiful, elaborate chair, spread a cloth over it, and sat her down. There was a footstool under her feet, and, for him, a long, colorful couch, away from the suitors. He didn't want his guest, surrounded by overbearing people and uncomfortable with the loud noise, to be displeased with dinner. And then, of course, he might also ask about his absent father. A maid, carrying water in a fine golden pitcher, poured it over a silver basin for them to wash with and pulled a polished table up next to them. A distinguished housekeeper brought bread and many other foods and placed golden cups beside them. An attendant came often to pour wine, and in came the suitors. Exactly like men. They sat down in rows on the chairs and couches, and attendants poured water over their hands while slaves heaped up bread in baskets beside them and boys filled mixing bowls to the brim with wine. Then they put their hands to the good things laid before them. When they'd finished with their food and drink, other things caught their attention. Music and dancing, for those things are anathema to a feast. Yes, I said anathema. Anathema. 
It isn't just an abomination. Anathema means a dedication, something that's been set up, offered, assume a temple somewhere nearby. It can be a bad thing. Sure as hell you can dedicate something to the wrong thing. But music and dancing, those things go up right along with a good meal. They're sacred to each other. Good food, good entertainment, a good story. And the suitors had finished their meal, so an attendant placed a gorgeous kithra in the hands of Femius, who performed, against his will, for the suitors. Striking the strings, he began to sing beautifully. Then Telemachus said to bright-eyed Athena, holding his head near to hers so the others wouldn't hear. Dear guest, I hope I'm not offending you, but... It's easy for them to care about this kind of thing, easy for them to enjoy the kithra and the music, because it's free. Someone else is paying for it, someone whose bleached bones rot in the rain, washed up on some shore, or tossed on the waves. Forget about wishing they were rich, or had expensive clothes. If they saw that man coming back to Ithaca, they'd want to be fast on their feet. But there's no consolation. His fate was a bad one, and it killed him. Even if someone says he'll show up, all chance of his homecoming day is gone. But anyway, tell me something and give it to me straight. Where are you from? Who are your parents? How did you get here, and what kind of ship did you take? Who did the sailors claim to be, and how did they bring you to Ithaca? Because I'm sure you didn't come here on foot. Be honest with me. I want to know. Is this your first time here, or are you an ancestral guest friend? Lots of people used to come to our house, when that man, my father, was around. The goddess, bright-eyed Athena, said back to him, Well then, I'll absolutely give it to you straight. I call myself Mentes, the son of warlike-wise Anchialus, and I am lord of the oar-loving Taphians. I've come down this way now with my ship and my companions sailing on the wine-dark sea to visit men who speak a foreign tongue, bringing flashing iron to Temeze to trade for copper. My ship is moored in the countryside, away from the city, in Raythron Harbor under wooded Neon. Your father and I claim an ancestral guest friendship. You can go ask the hero Laertes about it, though I hear he doesn't come to the city any more, but stays away weathering misery on his farm with an old servant woman, who gives him food and drink whenever he tires out from dragging himself around the slopes of his vineyard. I came here because I heard he was at home, your father, that is, with his own people, but now it looks like the gods have gotten in his way. I can't believe that divine Odysseus has died on land. He's got to still be alive somewhere, maybe held back by the wide water on a sea-encircled island. Hard men have him, I'll bet you anything. Wild men, uncivilized, they hold him against his will. I'll predict something to you now. As the immortals put it in my heart, and as I think it will happen, though I'm not any kind of prophet, and I don't know a thing about birds. He, Odysseus, will not be absent from his beloved fatherland much longer, even if bonds of iron hold him. He'll find a way to return, since he's very resourceful. But anyway, 
Tell me this and give it to me straight. Grown up as you are, are you the son of Odysseus himself? You're terribly like him, especially your eyes and face. We used to see a lot of each other, before he embarked for Troy, where the rest of the Argive aristocrats went in hollow ships. Since then, I've neither seen Odysseus nor has he seen me. Then spirited Telemachus said back to her, All right, I'll tell it to you straight, stranger. My mother says I'm his, but I'm not sure. No one ever really knows his parentage. I wish I was lucky enough to be the son of someone who grew old at home with his belongings. But since you ask me, yes, I came from him, the unluckiest of mortal men. Then the goddess bright-eyed Athena said back to him, The gods didn't set up your family just for it to end up nameless. After all, Penelope gave birth to someone like you. Come on, tell me this and give it to me straight. What's the deal with this feast and this crowd? What does it have to do with you? Is it a banquet or a wedding? It's clearly not a potluck. It looks to me like they feast disrespectfully all over the house. A man, any wise man who might come, would be offended, seeing so many shameful things. Then spirited Telemachus replied, Since you ask, stranger, this house was supposed to be rich and noble, once upon a time when my father was still at home. But now the gods have changed their minds, and they've thought up some pretty bad things. They've made him drop off the face of the earth. Of all the people they could have disappeared, they've made him the most invisible. But even if he was dead, overpowered with his companions in Troy, or dying in the arms of his loved ones after he wound off the war, I wouldn't grieve like this. The Panachaeans would have made a grave mound for him, and he'd have won great fame for his son, but the harpies have carried him off unsung, unseen, unheard of, and the only legacy he leaves behind for me is pain and weeping. But I'm not just mourning for him alone. The gods have made other troubles for me. The nobles who rule over the islands of Dulichian and Same and wooded Zakynthos and those who rule over rocky Ithaca, they all court my mother eating up my house. She can't turn them down and she can't make it stop. They are eating me out of house and home, and very soon they're going to dash me to pieces, too. That speech did not go over well with Pallas Athena. So she said, This is unbelievable. You've got nothing on absent Odysseus. He'd lay his hands on these shameless suitors if he showed up now and stood in the front door of the house with a helmet and a shield and two spears, just like he looked when I first saw him in our home drinking and celebrating on his way back from Ephira and Ilis Memerides. He'd gone there on a fast ship, looking for man-killing drugs to coat his arrows with. Ilis didn't give it to him, because he feared the gods, which are forever, but my father gave it to him. He loved Odysseus terribly. An Odysseus like that would engage with the suitors, and they'd all find a bitter marriage and a swift death. But truly, whether he comes back and takes vengeance or not, that's all laid on the knees of the gods. I urge you to consider how you might drive the suitors from your hall. Buck up and listen to me. Tomorrow call an assembly of the Achaean heroes. Declare your purpose to them all and call upon the gods to witness it. 
order the suitors to disperse to their own homes, and for your mother? If her heart moves her to marry, have her go back to her powerful father's great hall. They'll arrange a wedding, and wedding gifts, lots of them, tons, as many as is appropriate to go with a beloved daughter. I'll advise you wisely, if you'll listen. Prepare a ship, the best you can, with twenty oarsmen, and go ask around about your father, so long absent. Perhaps some mortal will tell you. Or you might hear a whisper from Zeus, who very often carries news to men. Start off with Pylos, and question divine Nestor, then go to Sparta and golden-haired Menelaus, since he was the last of the bronze-wearing Achaeans to come home. If you should hear of your father's survival and homecoming, even if you're exhausted, you should still hold out for a year. But if you hear that he's dead, and is no longer, then return to your dear fatherland, and set up a grave marker, perform funeral rites for him many, very many, as is right, and give your mother to another man. Once you've done these things, and are finished, think through and feel out how you might kill the suitors in your hall, either by cunning or in the open. You have to give up childish things. You're not that age anymore. Or haven't you heard what kind of worldwide fame divine Orestes claimed after he killed that patricide, cunning Aegisthus, the murderer of his famous father? And you, my dear? Since it's very clear to me you're big and handsome, be brave, so that those born after you will speak well of you. Now I'll head down to my swift ship and my companions, who are, no doubt, very impatient waiting for me. Keep all this in mind, and remember what I've said. Then spirited Telemachus said back to her, You're very kind to say these things. Paternal, even, like a father to his child, and I won't ever forget them. I know you're eager for your journey, but why not stay? Wash up, enjoy yourself, and then you can go to your ship happy, with a costly, beautiful gift, a keepsake for you from me, just like dear guest friends give to guest friends. The goddess, bright-eyed Athena, answered him, Don't detain me any more now, I want to be on my way. Whatever gift your dear heart urges you to give me, I'll take it on my way back. Choose a fine one, and in recompense there will be one of equal worth for you. That's what she said. Then bright-eyed Athena departed, as a bird takes to the air. And in his heart she put determination and daring, and called his father to mind even more than before. Thinking it over, he was amazed coming to the conclusion that he had seen a god. You've been listening to The Odyssey Out Loud. I'm Anna Katerina. You can learn more and listen to new episodes at theodysseyoutloud.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash odysseyoutloud. Thank you for listening.